presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to the Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright, and I am chairman of the board of CSI. Thank you for joining us today. Today's conversation covers an upcoming issue on this year's November ballot, Proposition 120, Property Tax Assessment Rate Reduction. Proposition 120 proposes to permanently reduce the statewide property tax assessment rate for several classes of property. However, something voters should be aware of, the ultimate impact of this measure hinges on whether 2021 legislation, Senate Bill 21-293, quote, property tax classification and assessment rates, unquote, passed by the state legislature after the ballot initially was submitted, will remain law. Sounds like a little bit of skullduggery to me that's going on here. Senate Bill 21293 reclassified property types, and because of this, Proposition 120's proposed assessment rate reductions would apply only to a multifamily and commercial lodging property, respectively. To help us navigate this complex topic... I have the pleasure today of being joined by Michael Fields, Executive Director of Colorado Colorado Rising Action. Thanks for having me on, Earl. Great to have you, Michael. I'm also joined by Chris Brown, CSI's Vice President of Policy and Research. Chris, it's great to have you on board, too. I'm looking forward to discussing this important proposition with both of you today. Michael, let's get started with you. Uh, You are the proponent who filed Proposition 120, quote, Property Tax Assessment Rate Reduction, Unquote. Tell us a bit more about Proposition 120 and why you filed it. Yeah, so we filed it looking at uh, the assessed values of property across the state and seeing that it was skyrocketing. Uh, the fact that you know families uh, would have to pay more, people on fixed income, seniors uh, were looking at their housing. Uh, you know, double, triple uh, in five or 10 years, that means they have to pay more in property taxes. And so we thought this would be a good time to do a modest cut, a 9% cut, but also knowing that on the business side, uh, we pay much more than other states surrounding us in terms of commercial property. Uh, and so businesses, small businesses needed that break, especially coming off of uh, the pandemic. I want to just fill in some space here with regards to data. So are you suggesting that the uh 14 to 20 percent annual increase in residential prices would eventually flow through to higher property taxes of 15 to 20 percent. And you're saying, hey, that's a little bit more than a lot of people could probably afford. And so you're trying to put some controls on it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think your your numbers were right there, that some people are facing 15, 17% increases when these uh, you know assessments come out. And you know if you have lived in your house for 20 or 30 years and want to stay there uh, and your value goes up that much, uh, it's hard to pay for it. And so we're looking at you know the impact it also has on renters. If uh, you know, you're in an apartment and the, the property goes up in, in property taxes, it gets passed on to you. And so really this can impact everybody in the state and thought, you know what, we just need to, to put the brakes on it a little bit and come up with more solutions later to deal with this problem. Uh, but right now, coming off of a time when government has more money than ever, uh, this is a good time for families and small businesses to get a break. What do you mean government has more money than ever? Yeah, so our revenue has bounced back uh, as a state. We are over the Tabor cap by billions of dollars for the next three years. Um, local revenue has, has increased 
Uh, and you look at the stimulus money that came in, $12 billion came to state and local governments, uh, and that money is spent over the next two, three, four years. Uh, and so government at this point, uh, you know, <laughs> we're borrowing a lot of that on the federal level, but uh, in terms of state and local government, they do have a, a lot of, of revenue, increased revenue. Education system has a lot of increased revenue. And so we felt, uh, you know what, let's even this out a little bit and make sure that uh, people can get this tax cut. Chris, how does Proposition 120, quote, property tax assessment rate reduction, unquote, differ from Senate Bill 21293, property tax classification and assessment rates, unquote. Well, thanks, Earl. You know, this is a measure, I think, one of the, the first for us in this analysis where we had to account for alternatives based upon the ultimate outcome of state legislation, which passed really in a, in a way uh, directly preempting or altering this initiative prior to it being voted on by voters. You know, our thinking on the analysis on this, on Proposition 120, started at pretty straightforward. Shall assessment rates be reduced? We could do the modeling on that. And the analysis is pretty straightforward. With Senate Bill 293, it gets far more complicated. Senate Bill 293 is different in that it temporarily reduced property tax assessment rates. I think that's the most important distinction, is that it did reduce assessment rates, but only temporarily. And then it has this interaction with the Proposition 120 because it simultaneously changed property class definitions so that if Proposition 120 passes... As it was originally written, it would now only apply to certain property classes and not the entire spectrum of residential commercial property as it was originally intended. So the difference is important. I'm going to interrupt you so all of us on the podcast can make certain we're all on the same page. So Proposition 120, that doesn't have any timeline on it, does it? That's a permanent cut to the assessment rates. Okay. 293 has a limited timeline and a cut that the legislature passed. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. And did, did I read material correctly that you'd put out before that 293 has created six classifications uh, in property tax assessment? Could be the right number. I've got the report in front of me. It yes. Is. Okay. <laughs> just Yes. You did so your homework. I, I, I try. What you're saying is that one is permanent, one is not permanent, and the one that's not permanent has also created six classifications to avoid what Proposition was 120 was trying to accomplish. Yeah, that's, that's right. Okay. All right. Thank you. Michael, walk us through the timeline. When was Proposition 120 filed, which I think is kind of interesting, this timeline. I think all of us would be interested in knowing, uh, the, as I referred to, as the skullduggery that was going on. And then when did Senate Bill 21293 pass? And could you provide some more background on the Senate bill and why the legislature acted and passed Senate bill? Yeah, so I think it's important to understand the timelines that all of these work on. And so, um, you know, when you're doing a ballot issue, a statewide ballot issue, you have to get signatures done by a certain time. Before that, you have to go through the title board. Um, And so you get all this approved. And basically, there's challenges that can happen, too. And that's what happened. This got challenged to the Supreme Court. 
And so the Supreme Court upheld it, said it could be on the ballot, that it was a, the proper title. Um, and once that happened, it was a Friday that the Supreme Court came out on this. By Monday morning, they had dropped 293 as a bill. It was totally in response to our ballot issue. And they assumed that we'd be able to get the signatures um, and get it on the ballot, which we were already going through the process of getting signatures for it. And so already spent money, went through that process. But once you lock in that ballot language, right, you can't change it. You can't go back and, and do anything. You would have to start again another year in order to do it. And so they were in, uh, if you remember this year, because of COVID, their session went longer than normal. Uh, and so they were still, normally when these things are approved, um, it's outside of session time. But they were there. They saw it happening. They jumped in front and said, you know what? We're going to do this temporary tax cut for two years to thwart the billion-dollar uh, tax cut that we were trying to put on the ballot. And really what they did was they changed around those definitions. Like you said, they added different categories and they said, well, what you're trying to uh, change in law is no longer there. And so it just doesn't apply anymore. And so this is unprecedented. It never happened uh, in the history of Colorado where they really said, you know what, uh, we're going to go in and thwart this. We're going to change the ballot language is basically what they did or the ballot outcome. Uh, and say, if you vote for this, it only applies to multifamily. It only applies to lodging. Uh, when we didn't have that intention as a citizen's initiative, I didn't, you know, and when we wrote this, we had nothing about multifamily, we had nothing about lodging. It was these broad two categories. And so um, this is just something that, that they did. And really, really, they did it because they didn't want to see this cut uh, be able to be voted on and, and have people approve it. Timeline, once again, I want to make sure we've got it. So did they pass the law after you'd had all the signatures, or did they pass the law after you got the language approved and then you started to get uh, sig- have signatures? So we were already getting, we we're in the middle of getting signatures when this happened. And so once you get your title approved, you can begin to have to, to get signatures, but there's still this appeals process that is going on at the same time. And so we were halfway through our signatures. Um, looking like we were going to get there. Supreme Court comes out weeks later and says, we're going to uphold this that Monday after that uh, they, they dropped this bill. Okay. And uh, because the legislative session was extended beyond a normal timeline, this is unique in Colorado, uh, as far as I'm concerned, in Colorado's history. Is that correct? Yeah. So this has never happened before where they tried to get involved in changing, altering uh, language that was going to be on the ballot. Uh, partially because they had that extra time, but it could happen in the future. We're working on a ballot issue for next year on an income tax cut that we are getting signatures for now. They could come in next year during session and say, we're going to move the income tax section into another section of the law. Now it doesn't apply anymore. And so this has large ramifications, not just for this ballot issue, but what the legislature is able to do uh, to kind of get involved, to alter the citizens initiative process, which is supposed to be separate, is constitutionally a separate process than the legislature. So a a big part of this referendum, the success of it, let's assume their success for purposes of this conversation. And if there is success and you're not having the full impact that you originally anticipated, what's the solution? Well, there's a couple things that, that we could be able to do if, uh, you know, we're going to take this to court, we're going to sue about it. I think we have a great legal case, uh, which we could talk more about. But I think ultimately, if the people support this and they want it, 
uh, we can follow up with other things like a constitutional uh, amendment that has to do with property taxes, uh, which can't be altered uh, as much by the, the legislature. We also could do something like a cap on how much property taxes could go up. Uh, and that's another referendum. You're talking about action yeah. in, in future years. So this would be, in essence, a, a signal from the populace that, hey, we want this to be done. And here's a popular vote to support it. Am I getting the drift? Yeah. And I think we'll know a lot more once we know what the vote looks like. Right. If it's really close, there might not be an appetite to to go and do something further. If this is a 20-point blowout or something, um, absolutely we could follow up with a constitutional or other statutory changes to, to address this. And so this is definitely not the end of, of that discussion. So this is popular vote is very important one way or another. It'll give a clear indication as to what the, what the uh, Colorado voters really it, feel is appropriate for property tax. And even the courts will say they don't look at you know how a vote turns out, but I think it's hard to look at something that passes 20, 25 points. People think they know what they're getting, a property tax tax cut, they don't. Uh, I think it puts pressure on both the legal side, but also just the fact that we can follow up with something else and pass it. Thanks, Michael. Uh, Chris, a lot of our listeners might recall we just passed Amendment B, the, quote, Gallagher Amendment Repeal and Property Tax Assessment Rates Measure, unquote, dealing with property taxes just last November. And that was, a you know, Gallagher was around forever that I can remember and a significant part of conversations that we in the state had on, on the property taxes, assessments between commercial property and residential property. And, you know, we voted to, to abandon it, in effect, uh, and move on. Well, how does Proposition 120 interact with Amendment B, and why wasn't that a fix? Yeah, well, as you said, Earl, for more than 30 years, the Gallagher Amendment was a formula used to determine property taxes throughout Colorado. And I think it's an important starting point because property taxes are, are a challenge and different than, say, income taxes and sales taxes, where for the reasons Michael talked about, for those on the fixed income, for, you know, for the residential side, having your tax bill fluctuate with the increase in your property value could outpace your income, could outpace the ability to pay. And so the Gallagher formula was a, was a, a, a mechanism that changed the assessment rates to try to level tax increases in the face of increasing property value. Amendment B fixed our property tax assessment rates to where we are now, our property tax bill is beholden to the, the value increase in our property. And, you know, if you've picked up newspaper in the recent weeks, you've seen headlines of how, you know, median home values have gone up by more than 30% in the Denver Metro and similarly in other, in other areas. And that directly translates to how much your tax bill will increase. So Proposition 120, by proposing to reduce our, the assessment rates, as Michael said, fully offsets, partially offsets, potentially somewhat offsets those increases in uh, property value. And amendment, and the repeal of Amendment B was not a permanent fix because of this long-term issue we would now face with property value increasing and our tax bills growing at that same rate, 3, 5, 10, 15%. And that fluctuation puts a lot of strain on, on individual and household budgets. I want to just play with some numbers for a second that maybe all of us in the podcast can 
relate to. Uh, Michael, what was the uh, change in property assessor value that uh, Proposition 120 wants to put in place versus where it is now? Yes, yeah, so 7.15 is where it is now. It would go down to 6.5 on the residential side. On the commercial side, 29 to 26.4%, so 9% on each side. 9%. Chris, you just mentioned that housing values have gone up in the metro area 30%. It would seem to me that if I'm a Denver resident, my housing value has gone up 30%. That more than offsets property taxes, re- reduction of 9% that Michael's talking about. That could certainly be the scenario we see. Well, it is. I mean, if the, if the numbers you gave me is correct, I'm still going to have a significant increase in my property taxes, even though you're having a 9% reduction in, the, in what Michael is suggesting, if it, in fact, applied across all of them all the property taxes. So, Michael... So what I would add, though, is there's one other factor, and it's something that needs to get fixed, is that this is the metro area we're talking about that that increases. That's not the same in western uh, slope on eastern plains. That increase is, is much smaller. And right. so this a cut could impact those areas a lot, which we're very cognizant of and, and want to factor in. But this is where you go in and say, look, we need a regional assessment rate that you know we shouldn't be paying 30% more and they shouldn't have to have a cut. We should have different rates uh, that apply to how much your value is going up. And so that's a, a reform that I would like to see happen very soon so that nobody is getting uh, you know, cuts to, to good, uh, you know, good uh, local services like fire uh, that need to happen, um, but also that people can stay in their houses in the metro area and on the front range. So, Michael, you're suggesting that this is the beginning step of, of a revision of property taxes to really reflect the communities and what their needs are. Absolutely. And I think, quickly, there's two other reforms I think need to happen. One, I talked about how high the commercial rate is anyway. That commercial rate needs to come down so businesses you know, are competitive with states around us. And I just think we need that cap that we talked about in general and saying, look, you know, maybe property taxes can go up 5 or 6%, but they can't go up 15 20%. I think a cap would fix that. But this is step one. I think there's step two, three, and four that still need to happen. Okay. So we've got, you're, you're hoping for a bit of a journey here that we'll be taking with regards to property tax over the next few years. Yep. From a financial or review standpoint, what will happen if Proposition 120 passes and Senate Bill 21293 remains? Help us out, Chris. Yeah, the difference in the revenue estimate is approximately $970 million because if 293 remains, it would only the permanent assessment rate cuts would only apply to lodging on the commercial side and multifamily on the residential side. And therefore, the estimated uh, impact to revenue in the first year would be a $151 million reduction compared to the $1.1 billion cut if 293 had not passed. That's a big difference. Certainly is. I, I think how does it's the important. State, how does the state make that up? We're all being told that the budget is being cut. We don't have enough for higher education. Uh, we're being squeezed on transportation. That's a you know that's a fair chunk of change, as we say in, the, in out in the country. <laughs> I, I guess on that front, you know, it goes back to the conversation we just had previously, which is th- those are reductions against the forecast. Ah, and so it's actually not a reduction against where we are today. Correct. It's a reduction against this higher increase in property taxes that we'll be getting that are reflecting the 14 to 30% increase in property values for residences and things like that. 
That's exactly right. So you're just saying it, we're going to – this sounds like the federal government we're talking about all of a sudden. So we're just taking away some of the growth. Yes, that's certainly the case. I mean, we estimated the year-to-year impacts as well. We did not build in a higher bump in value to account for the recent price. We don't have that information at the moment. So we, we in our analysis, we said, what if property values grow at the sort of three-year historic average? And in that scenario, between, uh, you know, in the first year of implementation, the revenue impact year over year is about $430 million cut or about 3.5% from the previous year. So that would be year over year reduction. Now, to the conversation we've been going through, if we see actual property value go up higher than that three-year average, which arguably it it might and and is you know uh, what's a three-year average you keep talking about it's around it's around so we estimate it on the county by county basis but the statewide is around seven percent five to eight percent okay sort of range is the average so an average is just that and this goes back to michael's point there's there's some wide variance in that with regards to the front range and the actual price increase here versus Lyman or Burlington, et cetera. Exactly. Okay. Michael, you want to say something? Well, I just this? wanted to say, I think, you know, there, we don't have the full data on exactly what that number is going to be, but uh, 10 metro area uh, and front range area counties put out numbers, and these numbers uh, were – uh, well over double digits. They were 14, 15% on average. Uh, so looking at that, we're pretty confident that when these numbers come out next year, that they will be above the 9% that we're cutting, and therefore government will have more money next year than they do this year. The CSI analysis on Proposition 120 also indicated that more than $4.5 billion in federal revenues, which I think you've already referred to, Michael, has been awarded to local governments across Colorado, including municipalities and school districts, this surpasses any projected revenue declines in the short term. Uh, Michael, how would the revenue cuts affect counties and school districts? To get in a very specific area that we're all really highly focused on, that schools and uh, the services that we receive in our counties. Absolutely. Um, I think that's, you know, and we talked about it a little bit, but uh, school districts, because of the stimulus money, are getting more money uh, this year and will continue on for the next few years, uh, given how much stimulus money has come in, $2.5 billion into these, uh, you know, education system. And I, and I give credit to the governor for making education a priority and, and education spending uh, per pupil spending is up, I think, 9 or 10%. Uh, this year and will continue to be because our revenue has bounced back. And so the fact that we are at or above our Tabor cap uh, means that more and more money is going to be going to education. And as we know, education dollars uh, come from localities, but they also come from the state. The state backfills them. And so, you know, these uh, areas that might see cuts uh, because their property didn't go up as much, the state is going to backfill that education dollars. What I would like to see in in any reform in the future is that something like fire departments, for example, I mean, fire has been a huge issue here in Colorado the last few years and and for a while. We need to make sure that that our fire departments don't have to make cuts. 
And I remember last year during the Gallagher discussion, the uh, estimate was 40 to $60 million that um, you know, if Gallagher was still in place that they would need. And so using that kind of number, that's easily money that the legislature could send to these localities to make sure uh, our fire departments are taken care of. But I also think the stimulus money holds us over for a few years, you know, and then in the next few years, uh, property values will continue to go up and that assessment rate will stay the same. Uh, and when that happens, government will have more and more revenue each year because of that, unless some other adjustments made. Where Gallagher ratcheted that, that rate down, this doesn't. It just drops it, fixes it there. So I think this is a, uh, an issue that uh, can be partially dealt with with stimulus money right now. Um, but in the long term, values will continue to rise and governments will have more money. I, I listened to all this. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, how would the, the uh, folks listening to the podcast take all this in? And let me see if I can try to put some parameters around this. You're suggesting that we have the $4.5 billion that has come in that is the largest from the federal government, of which all of us are going to pay for in income taxes one way or another. You're saying that those funds clearly can fill any shortage that even on a projected budget of higher revenues that maybe aren't there because of this proposition, clearly the funds are there. So you don't see any sacrifices to programs in the state that should occur because, once again, the federal funds that have come in from uh, the COVID pandemic funding that occurred back in Washington. Yes, and local revenue has bounced back faster than anticipated, right? This money was supposed to help localities deal with what they thought was going to be ongoing revenue shortfalls, which we just haven't seen. Uh, If you look across the state, revenue on the state level, too, has just bounced back so quickly that you have that on top, the stimulus money on top of a normal budget. Uh, And so, yes, I don't believe that that government is going to be any smaller uh, and, in fact, will be bigger if this passes. Um, And so you have to strike that balance. How do you give people a break, make sure that government's not getting too much, but that it can take care of the services that everybody expects it to do? Well, it seems to me what you're doing is you're doing it directly. You're putting money back in people's pocket or keeping more money in their pocket, whereas we don't know if more money is going to be kept in people's pocket or with the $4.5 billion, because clearly the income taxes aren't going down. And what you're doing is you're taking a direct action on the property tax, which could impact my spendable income. Everybody on this podcast spendable income. Michael, if 120 proposition passes, and considering where the Senate is, I know you're biased, okay? Because you're, you know, you've 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 been behind the proposition 120. But give us the likely outcomes, if you would. I know we covered that a little bit. If you could just give us a recap of that. Yeah, I think I, I mean, I'm realistic. Obviously, I want a certain outcome. Uh, I think that the the court should say that this is out of bounds. That you know, people voted on ballot language that was clear. Uh, and that, you know, that they should get that billion dollar uh, tax cut. I think it's, you know, probably a 50-50 shot that that actually happens, uh, given that the courts, you know, are, are they understand the politics of this. Um, and, uh, you know, when the legislature makes an action, a lot of times courts don't want to step in and, and do anything about that. But I think it is a question that, that at least has to get litigated, has to get discussed. Uh, I think legally, if you just put this in front of, you know, a normal group and said, this is the law, and says, look, if there's a conflicting, uh, you know, law with another law, the one that passed second is the one that that uh, is implemented. That is, you know, well-established law. Or they can try to reconcile them, right, and say, look, you can have your six categories, but they're going to be the rates that people voted for when they voted for them. But I think there's that broader constitutional question of can the legislature meddle in the citizens' initiative process that much? And so knowing that, you know, the court's 
uh, don't always agree with, with the view that I have on stuff, that it might be a 50-50 chance that, that it turns out that way. But again, I think the only thing that's for, sure, for certain is that this is going to be an ongoing discussion, an ongoing process, and we're going to get some much-needed feedback on the ballot this year. Well, clearly you're pointing out that if you win in this particular situation, uh, that there's very there's a process here that has that's going to be put in place just because of the different valuations and growth evaluations throughout the state and what the needs of the various communities might be and the property tax situation needs to be more localized not centralized in in uh, downtown denver am i hearing you correctly absolutely uh, i i think we have to be able to respond to the needs of the state and you know the fact that that you know, my house goes up 15% doesn't mean somebody uh, in the Western Slope does. And so I, I definitely think that has to be a quick discussion that happens because, you know, you're either hurting one part of the state by having their property taxes way too high, or you're hurting another part of the state by saying your services have to get cut. And so I think the centralized part that the state is playing in this, the role that they're playing uh, is not good. And I hope that legislators are willing to get to work on that. It's been talked about. There's been a study session on it. Um, but I think, you know, this is something that they need to act on along with that cap making sure that, you know, the, the property taxes can't go up 15% and people have to leave their homes. Chris, um, I know you've been working on this and been in the trenches and all the numbers and doing the analysis. Uh, do you have any closing remarks with regards to the, the podcast and folks listening to this? Well, I guess I would just maybe add just sort of as a voter, the intrigue here and the interesting angle here is the language that you see and as it's described in the text of the measure, and correct me if I'm wrong, and that did not get – none of the actual language that voters see has changed as a result of 293. So what voters see and if they review the text is different because of this external change in the recent legislation. The fiscal note, you, you know, everyone here listening will have received a, a blue, their blue book and get their ballot analysis, which does address this issue, but – the actual legal language does not reflect these outcomes we've discussed today. So that's just intriguing and I think an important voter consideration. Aside from the economic impacts, aside from the analysis, this is a transparency question. This is a, a voter question that I think is really, really critical. And that, the only other point I'll add is more broad in that you know we, we took a deep dive in property taxes both with Amendment B, and then actually post-Amendment B, we have a good study out that we released at the end of last year, because we do think that in many ways the property tax reform issues are not solved. This is a, 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 a maybe a, an interesting step addressing a couple of issues related to the growing value in our property, but I still think, and Michael talked about some of the issues and from a regional standpoint, the different classifications and different rates across, there's still going to be a big conversation around property tax. So, you know, want voters to be aware and and continue this education process because there's still a long way to go to get the property tax system to the point where we don't have these large unintended consequences, regional disparities. We're not talking about gutting services, and we're really talking about a stable, predictable revenue stream, and we're just not there yet. But uh, this is, you know, I think an important conversation for the future of the state. Michael, any closing comments on your part? No, I think, you know, I'm glad that that you all are covering this. I think the the media is starting to cover it. I think it's an important issue, Um, and there's many angles to it, right, that, you know, you can talk to somebody 
who's at a fire department in a rural area or talk to a senior who's in the metro area seeing their property taxes go up. Um, there's a lot of voices that should be heard. It should be an ongoing discussion. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think, um, you know, hoping the legislature really digs in and the fact that we're able to bring citizens initiatives uh, forward and be part of the process, I think is very important. I hope that that does not get messed with any more than it already has. Um, but I, you know, I think the more people educate themselves about this issue and the more it's a growing issue, there's a lot of positives about people wanting to be in Colorado, our values going up. Um, but there's also the, the other side of it that, that property taxes can, can impact where people can live and if they can stay in their houses. And so I'm glad the discussion's happening. I think it'll be an ongoing discussion, and I thank you for covering it. Chris, Michael, thank you so much for your time and, uh, and your expertise on the matter. It's deeply appreciated. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much, Earl. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.